Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Um, but if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be a particular place today. And like I said, I'm going to try to keep this um, as, as quick as I can because um, some of us do need to get out there uh, and serve. Um, but uh, I, I think the message that we have this morning uh, is a bit weighty. Um, uh, we started a series uh, last week called Does the Bible Say That? Context matters, uh, and we address the scripture, uh, one of the most known scriptures that I believe is taken out of context, uh, some the, the most, and that is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Uh, and so we addressed that last week. If you were not here, I encourage you to go back and look at it. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it puts it in perspective and what it does for you and I. When we read the Bible in its context, uh, it actually creates even more application and uh, uh, more kind of glorious power to um, undergird this life that we, we live. But, but oftentimes we just do a cursory, surfacey reading of the Bible. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, we're attracted to like just one-liners. We live in a day and age where social media controls more of a li- our life than we want to admit. And so you, you'll scroll through and some pastor will get up there and he'll say this one liner. They'll be like, man, that's amazing. And it's completely out of context, but it got you and you liked it. And maybe it lined up with your worldview or the way you think things should work. And so uh, you continue to like those one liners. The problem is if we don't spend the amount of time that the Bible deserves, then one, we don't know the heartbeat of God. And two, um, we don't know what he is unfolding before us with the actual application that's needed. And so we did Jeremiah 29, 11 last week. And, and this, this week, um, this week's going to be hard because in the context, this verse is in, it's not one that churches preach about. Um, because uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, people don't like to hear things like church discipline. <laughs> Uh, like that's, that's, you can't say that anymore. And, uh, so we're going to, we're going to deal a little bit with that. If this is your first time here, like, wow, this is uh, interesting. I don't know. Just, just bear with me. Uh, our goal is here through this series is not, uh, not to expose the oftentimes negligent approach to the Bible. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to reveal the beautiful truth that's found deep within the context of God's word. Like that's, that's what we want, right? And so um, we're going to be in Matthew 18. You can turn there, uh, Matthew 18. Uh, before we dive in, I, I think it's ironic that any community you join, any family you are a part of, um, has expectations and accountability. Just think about your own home for a moment. Those of you who have kids, you have expectations and accountability. And oftentimes, if you have kids, they fail at those expectations a lot. And so you are the ones that come in with the accountability, right? You let them know, like, listen, this is not how this works, right? Uh, you're supposed to mow the lawn today. It's going to happen. You need to do it. You forget to do it. There's going to be consequences for those actions. Just reminding my boys they have to mow the yard today. Um, <laughs> just use that as a commercial. Uh, but either way, like you, you and I, we have rules in our, in our family that, you, that we have. And those rules aren't simply to be some sort of killjoy. It's because there are expectations and accountability. When you're a part of a group, when you're a part of a sports team, there are expectations and accountability. I really thought it was going to be a game last night. I did. I was hoping. I was kind of hoping that would happen. And then I saw like a basketball score, like 77 to whatever. And it was crazy. But you, you have, when you're in a sports team, if you're not 
meeting the expectations, there's going to be an account, uh, accountability. Isn't it ironic that the only place where people are a bit weird about expectations and accountability, the only community or the only family is church? No, we can't. There can't be expectations and accountability. People won't come. <laughs> there, there probably should be because in every other, if we don't value this precious thing called church and community to the point where there's expectations and accountability, then what ends up happening is that then the community outside of here won't value it. And guess what's happened in America? It's not valued anymore. And so there needs to be these expectations and accountability. And it seems like the only community that fears to have expectations and accountability or gets reprimanded if they do enact those expectations and accountability is the church. Now, partly because, and I'm, we're not naive to this, partly because the church has drastically mishandled the precious honor given to her to encourage, engage, and uplift one another. It's been mishandled. Here's proof. Who's been hurt by someone in church or church? Raise your hand. Those of you who are too tired, raise your hand, raise your hand now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, like it's, it's pretty rampant. Like there's moments and times where you've been hurt, rubbed the wrong way. You did a business deal with a guy who says he's a Christian and he was shady. You're like, that's, uh, that's what I thought, right? And that's what happens is you have those moments. Um, but secondly, because the church as a whole has moved from the Bible and what the Bible has prescribed. So not only have we mishandled it, I would argue the reason why we've mishandled it is because we've moved away from the Bible because it became this thing about getting as many people in the doors as possible instead of being true to the gospel and true to the biblical narrative. So, are you ready? Uh-huh, you say that. Here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it to you. Here's the, here's the two verses I'm gonna read. Like we did last week, I'm gonna read the verses, talk about it for a moment, then we're gonna go back and read through the context and hopefully build it out from there. The two verses that I think are taken out of context a lot is Matthew 18, starting verse 19. You ready? Here's what it says. Again, I say, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three people are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. Raise your hand if you've heard these verses. Okay, all right. Uh, so this one, let's, let's deal with, with 21st. Has anyone ever heard a pastor, a worship leader, a small group leader say this? Um, in efforts of church being defined, where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is. Anyone? Right? You hear that said, like we're gathered here together. There's more than two or three of us. Therefore, Jesus is with us. The issue with that is that's not what this is actually talking about. But it's the one that's used to define not only Jesus' presence, but to define what church looks like. And then the one before that, verse 19. Now, b before I address it, let me clarify something. I believe wholly and wholeheartedly in the power of prayer. I believe in the unity of prayer, coming together in harmony to pray for healing, to pray for um, people who are struggling through a season, to pray. I believe God is still in the business of answering prayers. I believe that. The problem is this verse is not talking about prayers of petition. 
It's not talking about, you know, I, I need a new car. You agree with me, I agree. Let's pray. And wait, for, like that's not, it's not talking about prayers of petition. There, there's, this is actually in the context of a very, uh, like a much more deeper matter that we're going to deal with. And these two verses are among the most misunderstood in the Bible. They are traditionally taken to mean that God pays special attention to prayers of believers when two or more are gathered and agree. Now, such interpretation is wrong for two reasons. Here's the first one. It takes statements out of context of church discipline and the pursuit of the strained brother, which we'll get to. And the second thing is the conclusions that this leads to regarding prayer is contrary to, to scripture. It's, it sounds good. Like if we could just open up to Matthew 18 and start in verse 19 and do 19 and 20, it sounds, it sounds really good. And we can make it malleable. We can make it fit whatever we want it to fit outside of its context. Nowhere in the Bible does God imply that he listens any differently to one person praying than he does two, ten, five, or a hundred. Which we can pause for a moment. How beautiful is it that the creator of the universe is attentive to our voice? What? The, the creator of the universe listens to you and I. Hears it. He bends his ear towards you and I. We don't even listen well in a marriage. But, but God himself, and, and, and listen, he can listen to all prayers everywhere and hear them individually and answer them specifically. It's beautiful. But this is not talking specifically about prayer. In fact, this is talking more about church accountability. So I'm going to give you this before we go through these verses. Um, this promise that Jesus says here to the disciples guarantees guidance for the two or three, the church, who are following what happens before. The difficulty in living out life together and how you and I will eventually sin against each other. How do you navigate that? And Jesus promises when, when you are there agreeing on the decision, this is going. When you are there making this decision, know that I'm there with you. What, what a beautiful promise that he makes. Um, and if you just want a little bit of background, this word agree here, if two of you agree on earth about anything, this agree is simply being in harmony. And if you want to know anything that God cares about throughout the entire Bible, we did this. I'm not going to spend much time on, on this because our last sermon series was what's the point of church. But the one thing that you see laced throughout all of scripture is God's desire for unity within his body. And the thing that the church is most known for is disunity strife and tension and disagreements. 
And, and so I, I think what's going on here is that there will be difficult seasons that arise within a pocket, a community of believers. And when that happens and it is sought out the way God intended it to be sought out and dealt with the way God prescribed it to be dealt with, then what happens is Jesus is there in their midst. Okay, so this uh, passage in this context is about the loving pursuit for the sinner and the unity within the bride of Christ, the church. And when the living in community becomes weighty, Jesus promises to be there with us. Um, this is going to go up on the screen, so you need to turn there if you want to write it down. I want to give you uh, a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. This is what it says. Um, strive for peace. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this is one of those scriptures that in Hebrews chapter 12 kind of stings a little bit because the writer of Hebrews is letting you and I know that as believers, as we walk this thing out and it gives kind of those instructions in Hebrews chapter 12, we walk this thing out. What you and I need to strive for more than anything else, what we need to strive for is peace with one another. Like, what can I do to actively provide peace, not hostility? What is it about who I am that sometimes when I approach someone, it actually creates hostility instead of peace. It scatters people instead of gathers people. What you and I are called to do as believers is gather people around the foot of the cross, knowing that each one of us are guilty sinners saved by the mercy and grace of Jesus alone. So we gather people around. And then listen, not only strive for peace, but also for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That when Jesus Christ rescues you, changes your heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh, all of these promises that are fulfilled from Ezekiel in the New Testament, when, when Jesus rescues you and put his spirit within you and writes his law uh, 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 upon your heart, then, then what you and I now do is strive for holiness. Listen to me very clearly. You and I will never be perfect and we will never be fully holy. It's impossible. And what's, what's even greater news to a certain degree is that your holiness and my holiness is not what caused forgiveness for you and I. It is the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ that washed my sins away. But now that I know that, now that for some reason, the creator of the universe, God himself looks down and sees me holy through the lenses of Jesus should cause within me a desire to want to walk this thing out. I'm going to lay my will down and pick up his will. I'm going to do everything I can to die to my selfish nature and live by the nature and character he's called me to. This, this right here, strive for peace and holiness is, is why we gather together as a community to encourage one another, to spur each other on, 
to say, hey, keep moving forward. Hey, I know you're in a difficult season. I know you found yourself in a pit again, but just get, get back up. We're, we're here with you to walk this thing out. It's, it's not to publicly humiliate people and it's not to throw stones at people and it's not to make people look like sinners, but it's supposed to be a group of people who get down in the trenches of life with them and say, listen, I know you're struggling. I know you failed again and you find the guilt and shame kind of uh, running you over, over and over again. You you just need to know we're here with you and for you and we'll walk this out with you. Man. But in the process, because we're all, if, if I could say this without being too offensive, kind of selfish individuals, we're going to hurt each other. And so because of that, let's read Matthew 15 verses 15, or 18, sorry, 15 through 20. Here's what it says. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, <coughs> excuse me, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, in the context, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And just so you know that the context of those last two verses still fit with what Jesus was saying. I want you to see, and I didn't give this to, they won't go up here. I need you to see Peter's response. Immediately after hearing all of what I just read, here's Peter's response. Um, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? So, so whatever just took place, everything that Jesus just said, including those last two verses, 19 and 20, caused within Peter the question, but how many times? Just give me a number because I feel like I do pretty good. Like I give people three or four chances and then can I excommunicate them? Like can I kick them out, throw punch them? I don't know, anything like that. So he's, he's asking, so whatever's going on here within its context, Jesus is supporting this, this idea that here is what it looks like to live in community when you are offended. But before, once again, we, uh, we do this context verse by verse, which won't take long, I want you to see it through these lenses. Because Peter, um, Peter responded here, you see that in 21? Peter also wrote an epistle, uh, in First Peter, this verse is going to go on the screen. Once you see it, First Peter four eight. This is what Peter says. Um, above all, so this is in chapter four of Peter. So everything else, you include everything else he he said in one, two, and three. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, above all, above anything else, above everything else, above all, love one another. Above, above your theological differences and arguments, love each other. 
above the disagreements that you have in certain areas. Love one another. Above everything else, love one another. Man, we struggle with that the most. And I think Peter's writing it down because he remembers the question, maybe he remembers the question that he had back then. How many times, God? Like, how many? And so now as he's realized that he was wrecked by the grace of Jesus Christ, that now a transformed Peter understands that we are going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. We're going to have differences upon differences. But what we are called to as a community, the bride of Christ, is to above everything else, love one another. And for this reason, ready? Since a love, since love, covers a multitude of sins. So we're about to deal with maybe some extreme cases in Matthew 18. But can we just apply 1 Peter 4.8 to our lives on a regular basis? Meaning, um, he was kind of short with me this morning. Love covers that. I, I didn't feel welcomed. They ignored me. I wasn't included. I saw him in Walmart and it looked like he turned the other way. Love covers a multitude. Can you imagine what life would be like if we stopped um, kind of approaching things negatively immediately and we started to actually apply this, that maybe love can cover that. Maybe, maybe you had a bad season. Maybe you're having a bad day. He was short with me. Maybe he had a lot going on. Love covers that. So what I'm saying is when we address Matthew 18, let us first apply this, that we will walk this thing out, bearing with one another in love, understanding that every little thing that you do maybe is an attack against me. Don't we live in a world today that everything is against everyone? That everyone is easily offended? You said that too loud. That probably offended someone. <laughs> that what, what happens is that we've stopped approaching people with love, understanding that maybe, maybe you're, you're having a bad day. And you know what? I still love you, brother. That love covers a multitude of sins. But we are still sinners saved by God's inexhaustible grace. But because we are sinners, we will inevitably and oftentimes, hopefully unintentionally, hurt each other. And the one thing I can guarantee each one of us in this room is that at some point in the future, an offense will occur. That's prophetic. We must weigh out the biblical mandate to bear one another, to bear with one another in love, or is this where I need to confront my brother or my sister in love? Like we need to weigh those things out. And if you're weighing those things out, you also need to understand that other people are weighing those things out. So if you're then confronted, you know that they're trying to do this in love. There's not a, maybe a few, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna guess there's not many of us in this room that like to be confronted. Like if you come to me and say, I have, I have a few things about you, Jeremy. I just, I just need to share them. There are probably some issues gonna, and maybe some, take you in some bad ways in your life. I'm like, okay, really? I got a list here about you too. So how about this? We sit down, you tell me your issues against me and then I'll get my list out and I'll tell you my issues about you. 
right? Because who are you? You're not perfect, right? Like we, we don't like to be confronted. It is not normal. But here in this text, actually in Matthew 18, Jesus is saying there are going to be moments where this has to happen. So let's, let's look at what it says. Starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Sorry, we're already way off track. Uh, just going to say this, been around church long enough, 39 years old, was born into the church, uh, been in it my entire life. I'll, I'll say this because I think God's big enough to handle this. Uh, hated church for a good portion of my life. Became a youth, minister, I mean, youth pastor and a pastor. Started to hate church again because of what I saw through the back doors of the church. Um, but I'm not going to call unholy what God calls holy. My wife and I commit to that. Right? If, if the bride of Christ, God declares holy, I'm, I don't see better than he sees. So all the pains, all the difficulties that I see here through the back doors of the church, he definitely sees something different. So I'm going I'm to hold on to that promise. Right? So that's my commitment. But what I have seen is if you get offended by somebody, if I get offended by somebody, my initial reaction isn't to go actually talk to that person, but make sure that my friends agree with me about the offense. Hey, listen, I got a prayer request. Um, got a hard situation to deal with. This guy did this to me. Uh, just, could you pray for that? Like, that's what happens. We tend to use uh, the prayer request or conversation. Or I just need to make sure I have all the facts straight. No, listen, here's what the Bible says. If someone offends you, and not what you have defined as a sin, error, or offense, what the Bible has defined as sin, error, and offense. The other things probably could fit within the framework of a love, cover, love covers a multitude of sins. But whatever the Bible defines as sin, error, and offense, if, if that happens to you, go to them. Jeremy, you understand, I don't do well with confrontation. A lot of people don't. But still, the Bible says, Go to them. Can you, this, this is what hurts me the most, man. I, I've heard, when people have come to me and said, hey, I just want to help you, protect you a little bit, caution you about this individual. This is what they do, just so you're aware. I'm like, man, listen, sounds like a, your issue. Have you worked that thing out? Nah, he just, he doesn't deal well with confrontation. Uh, that's not for you to decide. We just do what's called to do. Like, we're just mandated to follow these steps, yet we don't do it for any and every reason. Go to him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Meaning the purpose isn't to be right. Any A-type personalities or ones in the room? I'm not calling you out. You just need to be right. The, pur the purpose isn't to be right. The purpose is to win back your brother or sister. That's the purpose. So maybe that means we have to check our hearts often. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, it's interesting that Jesus actually pulls from um, the civil law back in um, the, the Torah, first five books of the 
Old Testament, he, pull, he pulls something in. Like this is new covenant stuff. But he's like, hey, but this is still good. We apply this in our home. I just want you to know this. Like if you, how many have more than uh, two kids? Because yeah, two kids, they can lie for each other. But when you have the third one, that you can't keep a lie straight. Um, <laughs> someone's going to win that. But if, when, you, when you have kids, this is what you do. If something happens, you're not going to go to your oldest and think, you know what, my oldest never lies. He's definitely telling me the truth. You're not going to go to the youngest and decide, you know what, because, because he's the youngest and the cutest, there's no way he would do this, right? That's not how we do this. We, we actually will ask from different perspectives what happened and then try to deduce the truth from there because this is how it's kind of worked itself out. So when your brother or sister doesn't listen to you in your conversation, what you do next, slowly, with much wisdom and patience, there doesn't need to be a hurry, slowly, with much wisdom and patience, Get two or three others who don't already agree with you. Who are not already tainted by the gossip. Who are not ones that you simply trust alone. But two or three that can come into that situation with an unbiased kind of accountability and try to win that brother or sister over. Once again, the purpose is to win them back. Right? So if that doesn't work, and this, you, you, man, you rarely see this happen today. In fact, if you do see it happen, it'll get blasted over Facebook and social media. Look what this church is doing, how they're shunning people, right? Like this is, like what I'm about to read is why people don't like church. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Here's the thing. This, the hope in all of this is not to get to that point. That's the hope. But when we get to that point, can I ask you one just glaring question? How did Jesus handle Gentiles and tax collectors? Because what we think in this moment, okay, I'm finally, um, I, w- I knew I was right. They didn't listen. Two or three witnesses came together. They know I'm right. They didn't listen. Church knows I'm right. They didn't listen. They're out. We'll just shun them and be done with it. No, no, it's actually not what's happening. What's happening in this moment is Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile and tax collector. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He loved them. He loved them. Desiring that they would be a part of the family. Because yes, he loved them, but they weren't a part of the family. And, and so he loved them. He, would, he did things like this. He pulled up and, his, uh, up and saw Israel and he wept for Israel. Jesus, the son of God, the one who is going to lay his life down for the sins of humanity, he's there looking over Jerusalem and he, and he weeps for Israel. Says, oh, I wish that you would have known. There's a love and a compassion towards even those who are working contrary to what he has called us to do. But they're not a part of the family. But there's a desire for them to be. So how you and I approach people if they have become Gentiles and tax collectors to us is that we love them so well that in their interaction with us, they will hopefully taste and see that the Lord is good. 
That's the purpose of bearing fruit. So that those of us walking around and rub shoulders with people in the community and in the church, and they engage with us, that they taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the point. Whoa. Stink bug. <laughs> this is not good for an ADD person at all. Go to the church, treat them as a tax, uh, Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, look at this support. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in, in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The loosing and binding is underscoring. And listen, that all of heaven is backing the decision, decisions made by an authentic, united gathering of believers to permit or prohibit a brother and sister, a part of the family, as they love them well. Told you it's not easy. But I gotta love the, um, man, I gotta love the promise that Jesus says, when you get to a point, and you will, where someone offends you, then you have to have two or three people come together, or you have to make a heavy, weighty decision. The promise is that when done with the desire of the way it's described or prescribed in the Bible, Jesus is there. Here, here's what's crazy. I'm almost done. Um, you ever not wanted to deal with an issue, confront someone because you already know how they're going to respond. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I already know what, I know what they're going to say, so there's no need. It's pointless. Here's the problem. We're not letting the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. That maybe, maybe the response isn't going to go the way you and I think it's going to go because the Holy Spirit has been faithful in the back door. Can we start to lean on and trust in that the Holy Spirit is doing his job? That he's working on me as the one who wants to confront the person. He's working on the one who needs to be confronted in the process and that the Holy Spirit is doing a job because the end game, the end goal is love and unity. And the Holy Spirit is committed to that. Um, I'll show you how, how committed as Sierra makes her way up here. I, I've used this before, um, but I, I want to do it. I want to do it again because I think it's powerful. Um, as believers who are, have been wrecked by the gospel of Christ, we should prize, pursue, and celebrate reconciliation. Like, man, that, that should be our pursuit. Not shunning people, not writing people off, not, we've all done this. You're in the store, you see the person, you turn around, some people even left their cart. I ain't going back for that thing. Like, I, I say someone has offended you and immediately a name comes to your mind. Because this is the problem with broken humanity. 
But as believers, as people who, who have been outed, who recognize I'm sinful, I can't earn my way to God, I can't work my way to God, the only way I can even approach God, have peace with God, reconciliation with God, is through my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who was the one to bridge the gap between me and God. And because Jesus reconciled me back to God, I should be an advocate for reconciliation. That let a church be known by how they gather, not how they scatter. So here's my illustration and I'm done. There's this guy, Saul, um, doing what he thought was the right thing to do. He was a zealous Pharisee. Uh, and, and he was believing that God wanted him to eradicate Christians. And so that's what he did. Many Christians, early Christians, either were tortured by, arrested by, or killed by the hands or the decree of this man Saul. Imagine that kind of living. Imagine that kind of turmoil. We're dealing with someone did or did not like your post on Facebook. We're dealing with, they're calling me out, but they just didn't use my name. Like, like they literally were living in such tumultuous times that what was happening was their brothers and sisters in the faith and literally were being carried off by the decree of this man Saul. And they had to figure out how to trust and believe in Jesus through those times. Do you think that when they were recalling the words that if we just ask for anything in your name and agree, you'll give it to us, that they're thinking about the surfacey, superficial things that you and I tend to use this verse for? No, what they are doing is trusting in when they are together, when life is difficult, when seasons are dark, when decisions need to be made and they're weighty, that Jesus is there with them. So Saul's dragging people away. And all of a sudden, God, in a strange way, decides that the man he wants to rescue, redeem, and save is Saul. Probably not the direction you and I would have chose. Probably would start with someone fresh. Not him. So Saul gets radically rescued, supernaturally redeemed on the road to Damascus. Jesus cries out to him. And he says in this process, as he goes blind and the conversation between him and Jesus and his life in this moment, everything he lived for is kind of a lie. And now, what is he to do? And, and Jesus tells Ananias that this guy, Saul, you know who Saul is? And I was like, I know who Saul is. I've heard rumors about Saul. He's like, I'm gonna show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. So the calling upon Saul's life in that redeeming moment is gonna be difficult and hard. He's gonna suffer. The Lord himself said that. 
So Saul starts to uh, walk this path. His name gets changed from Saul to Paul. He begins to walk this thing out. And instead of the one decreeing the suffering, instead of the one who's doing the arresting, instead of the one who's doing the stoning, he now is the one who's being stoned. He's now the one being arrested. He's now the one suffering in a terrible way. There's this moment before he went out on his first missionary journey that I think is jaw-dropping. They call this guy Paul. Say, hey man, we're going to team you up with this guy named Barnabas. You're going to go on mission together. Oh, what you need to know about Barnabas is at the very beginning of the story, is that he was the one that was faithful to the call of Jesus and the church selling his property so the church and the kingdom could advance while Saul was calling out murderous threats on Christians who would have been probably in some way related to Barnabas. So now, all of the sudden, from the great call of God into the life of Paul and Barnabas, God is going to unite these two who are on polar opposite sides together, now together on mission. You think Barnabas had to pump the brakes a minute? Oh, wait, 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 hold up. I just, I just need a moment because he, he had my cousin killed. Uh, this is conjecture, by the way, so just bear with me. He had my cousin killed, I don't know. Are you sure he's the one? It's almost like from the first missionary journey of Paul, what God wanted you and I to know is that what we should value more than anything else is reconciliation. If we believe that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus, then I believe he can do the supernatural work to reconcile us together. So Paul and Barnabas went about their way. And what's great, is that they have a disagreement later and go separate ways. And that was okay. They could disagree and be okay. It's crazy. But I want you to know is that we need to be a church that believes in, trusts in, propagates reconciliation. That may mean we need to stop gossiping that may mean we need to start committing to the family. That, that may mean that we need to fight for unity, strive for unity. That may mean we need to stop being so easily offended and allow love to cover a multitude of sins. What we need to fight for is reconciliation. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.